0: It's the amazing Rico Bronya podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Uh, let's get happy, Mets fans, as we take a stroll down memory lane on the latest edition of Rico Bronya. We go through some of the greatest off-season Mets trades in the history of the franchise. Key being off-season, since we're in the off-season. Obviously, there have been many great trade deadline deals legendary trade deadline deals in the history of this franchise. So we're looking at off season deals. I looked at it this way, anything that involves the season not occurring. So there's a couple of deals on this list that I made that may be right before opening day. Mets made a couple of deals like that days before opening day. I know that's not technically the off season, but in the case of this discussion, I included it because where else do those trades go? It's not middle of the season. It's not trade deadline. So put it as an off-season deal. And there's a couple of those. And what's crazy is when you look at the history of the New York Mets, uh, a team that we love, a team that we adore, but a team that doesn't have this great amount of success. You know, Think about it. I'm 39 years old. I've never seen the team win a championship. I'm too young for 1986. But yet... There are a lot of great trades in the history of this franchise, but one thing you're going to notice, and I will address this early. A lot of the great trades are before my time. Now I want to give it credit. Like we always do whenever we go down memory lane, I won't ignore things that happened before my time. I won't talk about it as in depth because to me, it's just a history lesson. It's not something I experienced. I can't tell you this is how I felt when this happened. I hated this. I love this. I just know about it because my dad taught me about it. And then I learned it. Because I'm a Met fan. So I do want to pay homage to some of these incredibly amazing trades that happened, specifically the deals that built the 86 Mets. There are so many trades that just built the 1986 Mets that you say, holy crap, how could you say a bad thing about Frank Cashin? As much as some people may want to say bad things about Frank Cashin. It's tough to. He went out and made so many great trades that helped build the 86 team. So we'll address those, and then we'll get to the ones from our era, and we'll create a Mount Rushmore like we always do with bad free agent signings, great free agent signings, which we've done in the past on Rico Bruni. Obviously, check them out in the archives. The greatest free agent signings in MED history, the worst free agent signings in MED history. Uh, let's go to history first. Let's go to the things that occurred. Before I understood baseball. They actually mostly occurred before I was even born. We'll start things off with the Mets acquiring Tommy Agee uh, for Buddy Booker, who I have no idea who that is, Tommy Davis, Billy Wynn, and Fat Jack Fisher. They did that in the middle of December 1967, and obviously Tommy Agee became basically an icon in Met history and had some great years for the New York Mets. So that's an early, early trade only five years into their existence. They make a steal of a trade and it wasn't just Tommy Agee. They also got Al Weiss in that trade. Both guys, obviously key parts of the 1969 team about a decade later, they were trading away Jerry Kuzman. Now Jerry Kuzman's an icon in Met history now has his number retired, but in dumping him at the end of his career, they acquired a young Left-handed pitcher named Jesse Orozco. And Jesse Orozco would have a huge impact as the Mets eventually built themselves back up and became world champions. A reliable left-handed reliever for the New York Mets. Jesse Orozco came back for Jerry Kuzman back as a player to be named later, believe it or not. The initial trade was Jerry Kuzman for Greg Field. That trade was made in December of 1978. And then a few months later the player to be named later in the trade turned out to be Jesse Orozco. Right before the season in 1982, the Mets traded the former matinee idol, Lee Zilli and they got back Ron Darling and Walt Terrell. Not bad. Because then, a few years later, in December of 1984, they would trade Walt Terrell to the Detroit Tigers for Howard Johnson. Not bad. But they also would make a trade in December of 1983 in which they dealt away Bob Baylor and Carlos Diaz for El Sid, Sid Fernandez. So they're basically building the 86 rotation. Uh, the best of them all. I think this one may be the best of them all. It was December of 1984, and that's when they traded Hubie Brooks, Mike Fitzgerald, Herm Winningham, and young minor leaguer Floyd Yeomans for Gary Carter. Uh, I have heard... A lot of stories about the reaction when they traded for Gary Carter. Beningo's told me his reaction. My dad has told me his reaction. They were acquiring a superstar catcher in the prime of his career. And the the response I got from both Beningo and my dad was the stunning nature of what they gave up. They were not scared about what they gave up. They were almost ecstatic. Like, really? They got Gary Carter for that? So, as you can see, this 86 team is really coming together. And then, I think it was the final piece of the puzzle, if you will. November of 85, they made a huge trade. And I'm just going to give you the two key key components of the trade. Calvin Schiraldi to the Red Sox, who Met fans would just taunt as he was trying to close out games in the 86 World Series, and they got back Bob Ojeda. So, Bob Ojeda, Sid Fernandez, Ron Darling. Three-fifths, essentially, of the Met rotation built via trades. A couple of other deals post-86, but certainly, guys, I got to appreciate. Uh, They traded Ed Hearn for David Cohn. There were more players involved, but those were the key guys. Ed Hearn was a catcher who filled in for Gary Carter in 86. They turn around and get a young pitcher named David Cohn, who would come out and have a brilliant next five years of his major league career before the Mets traded him away. Uh, It was a big part of the 88 team that got to the seventh game of the NLCS. David Cohn, what a a steal that is. And finally, Randy Myers for John Franco. Randy Myers obviously had some pretty good years as a closer, but John Franco became the captain. John Franco was perfect for New York for a little bit over a decade, so they got back John Franco. So those are all those amazing, amazing trades that occurred before I really understood baseball. I, I didn't know it. I got to find out about it. And I'm like, man, I root for a hell of a franchise, don't I? That's what I thought. I'm like, man, dad, we root for a really well-run team. Look at all these great trades they made. <laughs> and here's what's depressing, Hoff. As we get to the trades of our lifetime, there's no trade that even comes close to some of those trades I've mentioned. Now, I'm talking about off-season trades, obviously, trade for Mike Piazza. Uh, July 31st deal for you on assessment it's, it's not as if they haven't had great trades, but in terms of off season trades, that list, I just went over. We don't have a lot of that in you, our time as a med fan.
1: Yeah. Like the, like the, I, the call Beltran trade for Zach Wheeler. You can't really, you're not going to include that. Yeah. That was turning exactly. was, that was during, uh, during the season. And, but Zach Wheeler was a good pitcher. Just unfortunately doesn't fit this list. So yeah. I can't even imagine which one which we're talking about here.
0: When we, no, trust me, I, I went deep. <laughs> I went deep to find them, to think about them and say, all right, uh, were there any good ones? There are some good ones. There really are. Uh, when we do a trade deadline edition of Rico Bronia, which we may have done last year, I completely forgot. Uh, yeah, there are a lot of those that may stick out where you say, oh, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. The first one that I, d- I need to mention, because how can we do this podcast without mentioning this trade? One of the great trades in the history of the franchise. And if you listened to when we had Rico Bronia on, you'll remember I brought it up to Rico. I said, you were traded for Alan Zinter. I don't know if Rico Bronia even remembers Alan Zinter, but I do. Alan Zinter was a prospect. He was a first-base prospect. And on March 31st, 1994, the Mets traded him to Detroit for Rico Bronia. And Pete? Do we have a podcast if that trade isn't made? It'd be called Jed Larry, maybe. (laughs) It'd be called something else. (laughs) Uh, On January twenty second, 1996, and again, take out his eventual contract that he signed. The Mets traded a guy named Judith Omarion. I don't remember him. Eric Hilhas, I don't remember him. And Eric Ludwig, who I do vaguely remember as a prospect, to the St. Louis Cardinals for Bernard Gilkey. Gilkey had one amazing season as a Met. Uh, His future after that was very bad. They gave him a contract that didn't work out. Go back to the uh, old episode we did on bad free agent signings, and you'll hear more on Gilkey. But for one year, for one year, it was a great trade. In December of 1996, this is an all-timer. In all seriousness, this is a big one. This may enter our Mount Rushmore of our era trades. The Mets traded John Olerud, or they acquired John Olerud, from the Toronto Blue Jays for Robert Person. Robert Person was a quality young arm. He was decent. I didn't want to give him away, but the Mets got back John Olerud. And John Olerud would end up having a great 1997, a really good 1998, and of course was the first baseman on the greatest defensive infield of all time, as SI coined him, in 1999 he was a likable guy uh I think he was a very popular Met and was a really good Met for the three years he was here I wish he re-signed after 99 he didn't unfortunately the Mets had to move on but when you look at what they gave up and you look at how good John Olerud was that's that's a tremendous
1: tremendous trade oh John Olerud no question I mean honestly the, the funny thing about old root is I always admired him from afar when he was not with the Mets. So it's one of those guys when you're young and you're sitting there and watching guys like, oh, I wish he was on my team, and then you hear that he actually gets traded to your team, it's to the roof. But the old Root thing that really stuck out to me more than anything else is I, I know the reason why he wore it, but the, the helmet he wore on the field always just kind of stuck out to me. Like, that's cool. I like that. So when that came over to... to Chase Stadium I was like all right this is awesome
0: oh yeah and John was you know we watched him from afar as a Toronto Blue Jay and remember the Blue Jays had such great success in the early 1990s he was a big part of that team he had that one year in 1993 in which for a while I don't know if he was ever really flirting with 400 but he was having an outstanding season ended up hitting 363 won the batting title he was one of the better players in baseball you know and so for us, it was an exciting trade because you're getting one of these, you know, stars in baseball in the prime of his career. He was only 28 years old. Um, I, I'm not sure why Toronto moved on from him other than the idea that he just didn't hit for a lot of power. And maybe they looked at him and said, ah, first base a power position. And if he's only going to hit 18 home runs or 15 home runs or 10 home runs a year, he's not worth it. And to me, I, I, I always thought that was overrated. Because if you can get power elsewhere, then why does it matter? And when you look at the Mets, the Mets were a great example of it because before they got Mike Piazza, so take us in that moment of when they traded for John Olerud. Todd Hundley was coming off a year in which he had 41 home runs. He had set the record for most home runs by a catcher. So if you're getting 40 home runs... and Okay, it's not 40. Let's say it's 30. You're getting 30 home runs from a position no one tends to get power from. Then you could afford to have a first baseman maybe hit less home runs than you usually think you should get from a first baseman. So the Mets were a great example of it where they were getting power elsewhere. And John came over and, you know, he hit 22 home runs his first year, drove in over 100 runs, hit 22 home runs in 1998. That was the year he hit 354, had an amazing season, and hit 19 home runs the year after that. That's fine. If you're going to hit, you know, first of all, if you're going to have like an 890 OPS, who the hell cares? You know, why the hell does that even matter? And if you're going to have power from Catcher, which they had from Todd Hundley and eventually got from Mike Piazza when they made that trade, I thought that whole thing was completely overrated. That is a... Tremendous trade that was pulled off in December of 1996.
1: I, I'll tell you why they moved away from John Olerud. It's not a terrible reason. His name, he actually became a Met in the 2000s, Uh, which calls called Delgado. Where it, was he at that point, though? Did they know how good he so was? So he was on the team since 93. Uh, he came up for a couple games, 94, 95. He played a little bit here and there. But 96, which is one of all those last years with the Toronto Blue Jays, he hit 25 home runs nah, they, in 130 that makes sense. years. Yeah. And that then, makes sense. And then after that, he just went off.
0: That makes sense. You're right. I'm looking at his numbers now. Like He was arrived. Or he had arrived. And I think early in his career, Delgado bounced around like he wasn't just an everyday first baseman. He played a little outfield. I think he was a catcher at one point. I don't, I don't know if he caught in the major leagues. He may not have. But, yeah, it makes sense. Okay. (laughs) Now, they could have gotten more for John Oliver, but okay, that makes sense because Delgado had a great career and certainly fit the bill of power, that's for sure. Uh, A year later, the Mets made a couple of trades with the Marlins. Both were pretty good. One is an easy good trade. The other one's a little bit more complicated. We'll go with the easy one. In December of 1997, the Mets traded two minor leaguers. Who I don't think either guy made it. Uh, Fletcher Bates and Scott Comer to the Marlins for Dennis Cook. Really solid trade. Dennis Cook was a big part of that Mets bullpen in 98, in 99, in 2000, before they finally traded him away in 2001. Real solid reliever as the Mets were building themselves back up and the Marlins were basically selling that championship team off. And then a few months later, and this one's complicated, so you tell me if it's a good trade or not, Hoff. I think it is, but I could see the other side. The Mets traded three minor leaguers for Al Leiter, and Al had a great career as a Met, was essentially their ace for a bunch of years, but one of the prospects that they traded for Al Leiter was A.J. Burnett, who obviously ended up having a very solid career with the Marlins, with the Blue Jays, with the Yankees. We all love Al, but is that a good trade? Are you okay with that trade, or do you look at it as a negative? Considering AJ Burnett had a pretty good career.
1: No, I I think Al Leiter had a great career with the Mets, and I, and I think that he was one of those guys where, again, Subway Series, he was around there for that time. And, and I, I'm not going to look and get upset by the AJ Burnett stuff because again, when you talk about prospects, you're in the you're in the now. Was AJ Burnett going to be there to help the Mets at that point in time? I don't think so.
0: Oh, he definitely wasn't, and that's that's the reason why, to me, it's still a great trade, because A.J. Burnett got called up in 1999, so now you're you're shifting a year and a half later. He was only called up because they're the Marlins. I don't know if the Mets are calling up necessarily a 22-year-old pitcher, and A.J. Burnett had his ups and downs. In fact, got hurt, I think, in 2003, missed a bunch of time, and the Marlins were able to, to be patient with him that the Mets weren't. The Mets' window turned out to be 98, 99, and 2000, and he wouldn't have been a contributor. So, look, could A.J. Burnett have had a 12-year career with the Mets and a very solid career? Sure. It could have happened. I think it could have worked in New York. But Al Leiter gave them what they needed at the time. He was the ace in 99, was great in Uh, 98. The ace in 98, was great in 98. Pitched well in 1999. Obviously pitched that uh, one-game playoff past Cincinnati. That shutout, one of the best pitch games you'll ever see. I'm going to leave out game six of the NLCS because I like Al and was a part of that two-headed monster with Mike Hampton in 2000. So, to me, overall, really good trade. But they did give up something. You know, a lot of times we talk about these prospects you trade away and they don't really pan into anything. So it's easy to say, yeah, what a
1: steal. They did give away a pretty good player in A.J. Burnett. You know, you know, you know, the one thing I think about Al Leiter is, especially now, Al Leiter would be such a stud even towards the tail end of his career because he went out there, and he might only give you five innings even at the tail end of his career, but he'd battle. He'd freaking, it might be 120 pitches, but he'd go five deep, five, six innings deep, and he might get the bases loaded, but he'd find a way to limit the damage. and And honestly, in today's game, that's what you need. Al Leiter, in his last year with the Mets,
0: he had a statistically good year. Had like a 3-2 ERA, made 30 starts. But the thing I remember about Al that year is he threw 100 pitches in five innings every start. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Every batter was 3-2. Every start, his pitch count was high. But yeah, to, to, to his credit, you're right. He went out there and gave him innings. I thought Al was a great Met. I really do. He was here for seven years, and he pitched a lot and he was clutch for the most part. Uh, I think Al Leiter belongs in the Mets Hall of Fame. So I'm very fond of him, and I'm very fond of that trade they made.